0: The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, the original and immortal stories of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle dramatized anew with Sir Ralph Richardson as Dr. Watson and Sir John Gielgud in the role of Sherlock Holmes. The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes with Sir John Gielgud as Sherlock Holmes and Sir Ralph Richardson as our storyteller, Dr. James Watson. Many of the cases of Sherlock Holmes were private affairs that made no stir outside the family circles involved. But the disappearance of silver Blaze was a matter which set the whole country by the ears. For not merely had this horse, the favourite of the Wessex Cup, Banished for a week before the great race, but his trainer had also been tragically murdered. John Staker, the trainer, lives in a small villa about 200 yards from the stables. I see you have some newspapers there, Watson. Let's see what they have to say about the matter. Oh, well, um, here's, here's the morning post. which says, uh, the horses had been exercised and watered as usual and the stables locked up at 9 o'clock. Two of the lads walked up to the trainer's house where they had supper in the kitchen whilst the third, Ned Hunter, remained on guard. A few minutes after nine, the maid, Edith Baxter, carried his supper, a dish of curried mutton, down to the stables. As the path ran over the open moor, she carried a lantern with her. About 30 yards away from the stables, a man appeared out of the darkness and called to her to stop. Excuse me, Miss. Oh! Can you tell me where I am? I'd almost made up my mind to sleep on the moor when I saw your lantern. You're close to King's and training stables, sir. I am. What a sort of luck. I understand that the stable boy keeps there alone every night. Perhaps that's his supper you're carrying. Okay. Yes, sir. But it'll be getting cold. Yes, but uh, you wouldn't be too proud to earn the price of a new dress now, would you? See, the boy gets his uh, note tonight, and you have the prettiest dress that money can buy. Let me pass, sir. I'm not giving notes to anybody. The girl was frightened by his manner, and she ran past him to the stable window hatch, through which she always used to hand the boy his meals. The hatch was already open, and the boy was waiting inside. She'd just begun to tell him what had happened when the stranger came up again. What do you think? I wanted to have a word with you. Uh, what, what what business have you here? Business that may put something in your pocket. You have two horses in for the Wessex Cup, Silverbraze and Bayard. It may have a straight tip and you won't be the loser. it a fact that if the weights Bayard could give the other 100 yards. So, so you're one of them den out. Well, I'll show you how we serve them at King's Parliament. Just wait right till I set the dog free. Rover, rover. The boy ran to unleash the dog, and the maid hurried towards the house. But looking back, she saw the stranger leaning in through the stable window. A minute later, when the hunter rushed out with the dog, the stranger was gone. Yes, that's as far as we can get with the morning post, I'm afraid. Mrs. Hudson, very stupidly, used the other half of the paper to light the fire this morning. Well, (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Oh, no matter, my dear fellow. The telegraph has also covered the colors very fully... I had it here. Uh, Hunter, on the return of his fellow groom, sent a message up to the trainer, Straker, to tell him what had happened. Straker seems to have been vaguely uneasy about the matter, for though he'd been to bed, he got up again at one o'clock in the morning, telling his wife that he was going down to the stable to see if all was well. He put on a Macintosh, for it was raining heavily, and left the house. Hmm, quite a wealth of detail, my dear Watson. And here I have the notes of Mrs. Straker's statement. After her husband had gone out, she went back to sleep again and didn't wake until 7 o'clock in the morning. Finding him still absent, she called the maid and they set off together for the stables. They found the door wide open. Inside, huddled on a chair, was Hunter in a state of complete stupor. The lads in the loft overhead had had nothing all night, but the favorite stall was empty and there was no sign of the trainer. Hunter had obviously been drugged. Undoubtedly. Mrs. Straker and the maid left him and ran up to the moor to see whether Straker had merely taken the horse out for exercise. And so the murder was discovered. Could so you read me the rest of Mrs. Straker's statement. Oh, well. Yes, that's it. Well, some quarter of a mile from the stables, Mrs. Straker and the maid found Straker's coat flapping from a furze bush. Immediately beyond, there was a bowl-shaped depression on the moor, and at the bottom of this, John Straker's body was found. His head shattered by a savage blow from some heavy weapon, wounded in the thigh, a long, clean cut, evidently inflicted by some sharp instrument. Straker had obviously tried to defend himself, but in his left hand, he grasped a red and black silk cravat, which was recognized by the maid as having been worn by the stranger who'd spoken to her outside the stable. Hunter, the stable boy, also identified it when he'd recovered from the effects of the drug. This was apparently powdered opium which had been put into his curried mutton. Now, that that explains what the stranger was doing as he leant through the stable window. The lads who ate the same meal at the trainer's house were quite all right, so only one place had been drugged. It goes on to say there were abundant proofs in the mud which lay at the bottom of the fatal hollow that the missing horse, Silver Blaze, had been there at the time of the struggle. Well, Watson, let's cross our little journey quite agreeably. And here we are at Terrace Park. stock lies like the boss of a shield in the middle of the huge circle of Dartmoor. Two gentlemen were waiting for us at the station, Silver Blaze's owner, the well-known sportsman Colonel Ross, and Inspector Gregory of Scotland Yard. I'm delighted that you've come down, Mr. Holmes. The inspector here has done all that could possibly be suggested, but I wish to leave no stone unturned in trying to avenge for a and recover my horse. I trust that I may be able to assist you, sir has there been any fresh development hmm? oh, i'm sorry to say we've made very little progress as you know we've had nowhere difficulty in tracing the stranger uh, he was well known in the neighborhood his name is uh, fitzroy simpson a man who's come down in the world and uh, lives by a little quiet and genteel bookmaking in the london club his books showed he was carrying bets up to five thousand pounds against the favorite when confronted with the cravat he turned very pale and was utterly unable to account for its presence in the hand of the murdered man. Of course, Tracker himself was wounded, wasn't he? In the thigh. He may have wounded himself in the convulsive struggles which follow any brain injury. Excellent, my dear Watson. It's more than possible. It's probable. In which case, one of the main points in favor of the accused disappears. A minute later, we were all seated in a comfortable landau and were rolling through the quaint old Devonshire town. A clever counsel would tear your case to rags. Why should Simpson take the horse out of the stable? If he wished to injure it, he could do it there. Has a duplicate key to the stable door been found in his possession? What chemist sold him the powdered opium? Above all, where could he, he a stranger to the district, hide a horse? And such a horse was this? Tell me, what is his own explanation as to the note which he wished the to maid to give to the stable boy? He says it was a ten-pound note, and one was found in his purse. Also, he's not a stranger to the district. He's twice lodged at Tavistock in the summer. Uh, The opium he probably brought with him from London. The key, having served its term, will be hurled away. As for the horse, it may uh, well lie at the bottom of one of the pits or old mines upon the moor. What does he say about the crevettes? He admits that it's his and says that he lost it. But uh, a new element has been introduced into the case, which may account for his leading the horse from the stable. We found traces that show that a party of gypsies encamped on Monday night within a mile of the spot where the murder took place. On Tuesday, they were gone. Simpson may well have been leading the horse to them when he was overtaken. Mm. It's certainly possible. moor has been scoured for them. Meanwhile, I've examined every stable and outhouse in Tavistock and for a radius of ten miles. There's another training stable quite close, I believe. Uh, yes, and that's a factor we must certainly not neglect. As uh, Desborough, their horse, was second in the betting, they had an interest in the disappearance of uh, Silver Blaze. Silas uh, Brown, their trainer, is known to have had large bets upon the event, and he was no friend to poor Straker. However, we've examined his tables, and there's nothing to connect him with the affair. And nothing to connect with Trois Simpson, with their interest? Uh, nothing at all. Ah, well, here we are. Our driver pulled up at the little red-brick villa which stood by the road. Colonel Ross asked Holmes whether he would like to go on to the scene of the crime. No, I think i prefer to stay here a little while and go into one or two questions of detail. Straker was brought back here, I suppose. Yes, he lies upstairs. The inquest is tomorrow. He's been in your service some years, Colonel. I've always found him an excellent servant. I presume that you made an inventory of what he had in his pockets at the time of his death, Inspector. I had the things themselves here in the sitting room. Uh-huh there a box of matches two inches of tallow candle pencil case a few papers and the ivory handled knife yeah very singular knife watson surely in your line it's what they call a cataract knife Used use it for surgical purposes including very delicate operations a strange thing for a man to carry with him on a rough expedition why it won't even shut up to go into his pocket uh, the tip was guarded by a cork which we found beside his body His wife tells us that he kept it for some days in the dressing table and picked it up as he left the room. A poor weapon, but perhaps the best he could lay his hands on at the moment. And the paper? Uh, hay dealer's account. Uh, This letter from Colonel Ross and this uh, dressmaker's account for £37.15 made out by Madame Le of Bond Street. May I see that bill, please? Uh, Certainly. It's made out to William uh, Derbyshire. William Derbyshire. Uh, Mrs. Straker tells us he was a friend of her husband and that occasionally uh, letters for him were addressed here. Has he been staying here then? Did Mrs. Straker know him? I gather not, but uh, here is Mrs. Straker. Uh, Mr. Sherlock Holmes, uh, Mrs. Straker. How do you do, sir? How do you do, Mrs. Straker? Uh, Surely uh, we met uh, before uh, 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 at a garden party in Plymouth recently. No, sir, you must be mistaken. Tell me, I could have sworn it. You wore a costume of dove-colored silk with ostrich feather trimmings. Never had such a dress, sir. Well, well that settles it, then. you'll uh, excuse me, sir. I'd like a word with the colonel. Of course. I'll be with you in a moment, Mr. Holmes. Uh, oh, uh, Inspector. <laughs> Holmes, I believe you got your hand on a clue. Oh, do you? As a matter of fact, I was just remembering a really excellent curry. We once ate together in Soho. In a moment, we continue this week's story in The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. And now we continue The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Holmes next asked to be shown the spot where the murder had been committed a short walk across the moor brought us to the hollow in which the body had been found at the brink of it was the first bush upon which the Mackintosh belonging to the murdered man had been hung there was no wind that night I understand none but very heavy rain mm. well in that case the coat was not blown against the third bushes it must have been placed there. Yes, it was laid across the bush. Very interesting. Yes. In this bag, I have one of the boots which Straker wore, one of Fitzroy Simpson's shoes, and a cursed horse shoe of silver blade. My dear, yes. Inspector, you surpass yourself. Holmes took the bag, and descending into the hollow, he made a careful study of the trampled mud in front of him. Hello. What's this? A scent match, eh? excellent i can't think how i came to miss it it was invisible buried in the mud i only found it because i was looking for it what you expected to find it i thought it not unlikely you'll have searched the ferns round the rim of the hollow for any more tracks of course uh, i'm afraid there are none i've examined the ground very carefully for a hundred yards in each direction good then i'll take a little walk over the moors before it grows dark and i think i'll put this horseshoe in my pocket just for luck I I suppose you know your own methods best, Mr. Holmes. Perhaps you'll we'll come back with me, Inspector. As there are several matters in which I need your advice, especially as to whether we urge the public to scratch Silver Blaze from the Wessex Cup. Certainly not, Colonel. I should let the name stand. I am very glad to have your opinion, sir. We shall see you later on when you finish your walk. Colonel Ross and the Inspector went back to the villa whilst Holmes and I walked slowly across the moor. We may leave the question of who killed John Straker for the moment... ...and confine ourselves to finding out what has become of the horse. Now, supposing he broke away during or after the tragedy... ...where could he have got to? Almost anywhere on Dartmoor, I should imagine. Oh, dear no, the horse is a gregarious animal. If left to himself, his instincts would have been... ...either to return to King's Island or go on over to Capleton yonder. Why should he run wild upon the moor? If he's not at King's Island, he must be over there... At Capleton. Come along. We've not far to go. And as we approached the gates of Capleton, we met a groom coming out of them. We don't want any loiterers around here. Uh, I only wanted to ask you a question. Would I be too early to see your master, Mr. Silas Brown, if I were to call here at five o'clock tomorrow morning? Boy, mm. oh, bless you, sir. If anyone's about, it'll be him. You're always afraid, Shirin. What's this, Dawson? No gossiping. Go on about your business. And you there? What the devil do you want here? Ten minutes talk with you, my good sir. Well, I've no time to talk to every gadabout. And we don't want strangers here. Be off, You may find a dog at your heels. One word in your ear, my friend. In your own interest. It's a lie. An infernal lie. Very good. Shall we argue about it here in public or talk it over in your parlor? Or do I go to the police? It was 20 minutes before he returned. It should be done, sir, just as you wish it. There must be no mistake. Oh, no, there should be no mistake. It should be there. Should I change it first or not? (laughs) No, no, don't. I'll write to you about that. No tricks now. Oh, no, you can trust me. You can trust me. Yes, I think I can. Well, you shall hear from me tomorrow. Good day to you. Good day, sir. You see, Watson... A more perfect compound of the bully, coward, and sneak than Master Silas Brown I have seldom met with. He has the horse, then? Oh, he tried to bluster it out. But I told him so exactly what his actions had been that morning that he's convinced I was actually watching him. <laughs> he was first down, as usual, and seeing a strange horse wandering on the moor, he went out to it. When he recognized it as silver Blaze from the white splash on its forehead, his first instinct was to return it to the king's Pylons stable, which he set out to do. But then he realized that if the horse could only be hidden till after the Wessex Cup, his own horse, Desbro, would almost certainly win. So he changed his mind and turned back halfway, brought Silver Blaze down to his own stables. But I thought his stables had been thoroughly searched. Oh, an old horse-faker like him has many a dodge. Ah, oh, but aren't you afraid to leave the horse in his power now? since he's every interest in injuring it? My dear fellow, he'll guard it like the apple of his eye. He knows that his only hope of mercy is to produce it safely at the racetrack for the Wessex Cup. I made that perfectly clear to him. But uh, I have a little trick to play on Colonel Ross. You may have noticed that his manner to me was just a trifle cavalier. So uh, neither of us, please, for the present will say anything to him about the horse. Well, certainly not, if you wish it. Uh, And, of course, this is all quite a minor matter compared with the question of who killed John Straker. And you devote yourself to that in the meantime. On the contrary. We will both go back to London by the night train. I was thunderstruck by my friend's word. We'd only been a few hours in Devonshire, that he should give up an investigation in which he had begun so brilliantly was quite incomprehensible to me. Not one word more could I draw from him until we were back at the trainer's house where the colonel and the inspector were waiting for us. My friend and I returned to town by the midnight express. We've had a charming little breath of your darksmoor air. Will you despair of arresting the murder of poor Straker? There are certainly grave difficulties in the way. I have every hope, however, that your horse will be at the racetrack next Tuesday, and I beg that you'll have your jockey in readiness. Oh, may I take this photograph of John Straker with me back to town? Well, Inspector, I'm rather disappointed in our London consultant. I don't see to go any further than when he came. At least you have his assurance that your horse will run next week. Yes, I have his assurance. I should prefer to have my horse we went outside. Goodbye. Goodbye, Colonel. I hope to see you at the Wessex Cup and Silver Blaze. Four days later, Holmes and I saw Silver Blaze win the Wessex Cup by a good six lengths. But was not a Silver Blaze that even its owner could recognize. There was no trace to be seen of the famous white splash on its forehead, or of the mottled off foreleg. The silver blaze that won the Wessex Cup was a powerful bay. It was only in the weighing enclosure after the race that Holmes began to explain to a colonel who was completely bewildered. (laughs) you're only to wash his face and his leg in spirits of wine and you will find that he's just the same old silver blaze as ever you you take my breath away as i found him in the hands of a faker and took the liberty of running him just as he was sent over my dear sir you've done wonders i owe you a thousand apologies you've done me a very great service by recovering my horse you would do me a greater still if you could lay your hands on the murderer of john Straker. I've done so. You've done so? You've got him. But where is he then? What? He's in our company at the present moment. That is either a very bad joke, Mr. Holmes, or is it an insult? I'm not referring to you, The real murderer is standing immediately before you. The horse? Yes, the horse. Silver Blaze himself. It may lessen the guilt somewhat if it. I say that the killing was done entirely in self-defense and that John Straker was a man who was quite unworthy of your confidence. There goes the bell, and as I stand to win a little on the next race, I shall defer a lengthier explanation till a more fitting time. It was not until we were on our way back to London that Holmes would get down to these explanations, despite the impatience of both the colonel and myself. I must confess that I even suspected Fitzroy Simpson myself for a time. It was only when I reached the trainer's house that the immense significance of the curried mutton occurred. to The curried mutton? You mean when you mentioned our Soho meal? Exactly. Powdered opium has a disagreeable and perceptible flavor. Only something more strongly flavored, like a curry, could have disguised the taste. Now Fitzroy Simpson could never have known that the maid would be serving the stable lab with a curry that night. The only people who could have known that were people in the house. So, who could have taken advantage of the fact? Then there was the silence of the dog when the horse was taken from the stable. It failed to bark because he knew who the intruder was. I was already quite convinced that the intruder must have been John Straker himself. John Straker himself? But why did he wish to take Silver Blaze out onto the moor in the dead of night and secretly... The answer to that was in John Straker's pocket. The dressmaker's bill, precisely. Addressed to William Derbyshire. That set me thinking. Perhaps John Straker was leading a double life. After all, his wife confirmed that the expensive costume wasn't for her. And by recognizing the photo that I showed her, Madame Desurier, the dressmaker, later confirmed that John Straker had indeed bought it there. To give to a woman of more expensive taste than his wife. In fact... John Straker was leading a double life and was in their financial straits. John Straker. I can scarcely believe it. The knife gave me the final clue. It was a surgical knife, such as could be used to lame a horse without leaving any visible evidence of foul play. By laming Silver Blaze and betting on Desborough, John Straker would have been able to retrieve his fortune. Oh, the scoundrel, the man I trusted. He led the horse out onto the moor so that when he cut its tendons, its plunging wouldn't waken the grooms overhead. In order that he could see what he was going to do, he needed a candle. So that the candle should not be seen, he led the horse to the hollow. In lighting the candle, he dropped that spent match in the mud. Unfortunately for him, the light must have scared the horse, unless it was instinct. Whichever it was, the horse lashed out, and its steel shoe caught Straker full in the forest. He'd already taken off his Macintosh to be freer, and as he fell, gashed his thigh on his own knife. My dear, fellow, are you... You might have been there. Wonderful. And the cravat, Fitzroy Simpson's, which was in the dead man's hand. Simpson said that he lost it. No doubt he did. Straker must have found it and picked it up. Perhaps with the idea of using it to secure the horse's leg. Well, that disposes of everything. Quite simple. Perhaps we could while away the rest of this journey, my dear Watson, with a game of chess. adventures of Sherlock Holmes based on the original stories of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle have been dramatized anew with original music composed by Sidney Torch.